Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Tuesday, April the 12th, 2016. This is the Western Devs Podcast. Boy, look here, we got something for you. Hey everybody, welcome to another Western Devs Podcast. This is Kyle Belay and I'm at Prairie DevCon. We've cornered Matthew Renzi, uh, who is speaking here at Prairie DevCon on a couple of things. We're going to talk to him today about exploratory data analysis with R as a specific topic, but I want to talk to him about some of the more general things that go along with that. So welcome, Matthew. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first. Well, I'm an independent software and data science consultant with over 16 years of professional experience building large-scale data-driven desktop server and cloud-based applications. I have double degrees in computer science and philosophy with a minor in economics, and my focus was on artificial intelligence and machine learning at Iowa State University. In addition, I'm a Pluralsight author, an international public speaker. I built some pretty cool open-source projects, and I'm also an ASP uh, insider. Very nice. Good to have you on here. How did your talk go today so far? Uh, so far, very well. Um, that talk today was on Agile, uh, the economic psychology and science of why Agile is successful. Very nice. So today we're talking about uh, exploratory data analysis. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to come at this. Let's pretend I don't know anything about exploratory data okay. analysis for the, for the sake of argument. Okay. What would you? How would you pitch it to me? Well, exploratory data analysis is a type of data analysis that we do that's primarily focused on just getting a, an understanding of data very fast. We're just trying to get the general shape and feel of data using a few uh, tools from statistics, things like descriptive statistics, so like the, the minimums, the maximums, the, uh, the range, quartiles, interquartile range, standard deviation, and by using data visualization very heavily as well, too. We can, as humans, uh, grab a lot of information or see patterns in data very quickly by using these tools for exploratory data analysis, as opposed to other techniques like uh, statistical modeling, or there's also things like uh, machine learning or applied machine learning. Uh, that would be other areas of statistics or statistical analysis that uh, kind of fall outside of the umbrella of exploratory data analysis. So how would exploratory differ from, say, machine learning? Um, so with exploratory data analysis, it's about a human being interacting with the data via a computer in order to find patterns in the data. Whereas with machine learning, we have uh, statistical machine learning algorithms that are actually seeking out patterns in the data on their own or using those uh, patterns that it has found in order to automate decision making for um, in, instead of involving a human being in the process, typically. Sometimes they'll throw a human being in the middle if it's something high risk or requires intervention. So the, with the exploratory, then, it's more of a, a combination that the, the human is making all the decisions and using the power of the, the machine to, to basically sift through the data. Yep. And it, it's different also uh, from like a data mining as well, too. Data mining is typically what we do when we have very high-dimensional data sets, whereas with exploratory data analysis, we're typically working with low-dimensionality data. So uh, imagine like 10 columns in your uh, table rather than 300 uh, columns. And I've worked with all of those different types of uh, data sets where we have high-dimensional data, for example, uh, human, uh, what was it? Uh, well, I can't remember what it is. But uh, essentially... Um, it, essentially using these large data sets in order to extract patterns where the machine is doing the heavy lifting as opposed to the human being doing the heavy lifting. With exploratory data analysis, we're still using the machine in order to uh, create the descriptive statistics for us or to um, 
create uh, statistical models or data visualizations, but not to the same degree that we, we do with uh, data mining where the machines are doing massive number crunching and just kind of returning a, a result, kind of an answer to us based upon their uh, pattern analysis that they're doing. So the exploratory analysis has, it sounds like, just as much to do with the graphical representation as it does the actual number crunch. Yeah, I would say that uh, exploratory data analysis is typically like divided into two sets. There's the numerical analysis that we do, which is primarily the descriptive statistics, so minimum, maximum, those kind of numbers. And then the uh, data visualization, which is where we're trying to take uh, the same data and represent it in visual ways. And we typically are doing these for, for different reasons. If we're interested in exact numbers, we'll use the numerical methods. If we're looking for either approximations or shapes of data, uh, oftentimes we'll use the data visualization techniques. And it largely depends upon the audience, too. Um, most people wouldn't understand if we gave them the, the you know, mathematical function for a probability density uh, curve. But if we drew that curve on a map for the, or on a graph for them, uh, they would understand it very easily. Oh, it's skewed to the left, and it has a... They wouldn't understand kurtosis, but we could actually show them, oh, the peak is this high rather than a normal distribution. So the, with, the, with this, these tools, they, do, do they give you, um, what am I trying to say? Do they give you the suggested visualizations? Or do, like how, does it, how does the visualization, they can, they're able to determine the appropriate kind of visualization for a particular set of data? Well, there are tools that will do that. For example, Tableau, which is an interactive data visualization tool, will, will produce the best visualization based upon its guess, uh, given the type of data that uh, you're looking at, whether the variables are categorical variables or numeric variables, and it'll produce a data visualization that, that should, in general, come close. With um, R, which is the programming language that I primarily use for data analysis, uh, we have to make a decision as a, a human being as to what data visualization we want to uh, create. But um, the guidelines for doing that are relatively simple. Uh, there's, you know, depending upon the number and type of variables involved, uh, we pretty much know what type of data visualization we can create. And then there's modifications on that based upon the specific audience. For example, um, to represent uh, comparisons of uh, frequency of observations of uh, qualitative data, that is categorical data, uh, some people would use a pie chart, but as a you know, someone who practices data visualization, we know that human beings are actually relatively poor at comparing uh, the angles of sectors for numerical comparison. So I would use something like bar bar graph instead of a pie chart. But ultimately, we could choose you know the pie chart if you know the, the CEO is just well versed in pie charts. And I, I don't know, maybe this is a bad example, but uh, we could make the determination as to when this would be appropriate or not appropriate and then uh, choose the data visualization based upon that. And use kind of this, this um, I want us to call it like a heuristic or algorithm that, that we kind of go through a combination of number of variables and the type of variable in order to determine the specific type of data visualization to use. Sounds like there's some psychology behind what, how you pick the visualization for it. Uh, yeah, actually there's quite a bit of psychology behind it. In fact, um, there's really good books. Uh, gentlemen like Edward Tufte uh, have written uh, yeah. amazing books on like the... Uh, kind of how to how to uh, visually represent quantitative information in ways that um, oh, and Stephen Few as well too. Uh, there's also uh, Nathan Yao. There's there's numerous guys that have invested all sorts of time understanding the the psychology behind data visualizations and thus determining which data visualizations convey information in the best way possible with the the maximum signal to noise ratio, if you will, getting rid of all the chart junk, all of the 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 things that don't directly communicate the data. We refer to it as data to ink ratio. This also sounds like kind of the source of you can make statistics tell you pretty much anything if you visualize it 
Yes. Uh, in fact, there's numerous books on the topic of how to lie with statistics or data visualizations. And unfortunately, it's actually very easy to lie with data visualizations. So one of the things that I teach in like my Pluralsight courses is uh, I have a little a section dedicated to guidelines for how to avoid uh, misrepresenting data with your data visualizations because it's so important that we not only that we don't misrepresent, misrepresent data, but that we are able to see when someone else is misrepresenting data when they're lying to us with their data. To give them the tools to, to look at things objectively. Yes, right? absolutely. The uh, closest thing I've had that's been in the back of my mind during this conversation uh, for experiences, I've always been impressed with the way Wired Magazine um, kind of visualizes their data. They've always got kind of special kinds of charts. Yeah, uh, Wired Magazine uh, does really good, with, especially with infographics, and uh, right. the New York Times is extremely good oh, as well, yeah? too. In fact, I think uh, the D3 library, which is the JavaScript data visualization library that I use for, uh, like whenever I build dashboards for clients uh, on the web, um, I think it was actually designed by the, the lead data visualization expert at uh, New York Times. I'd probably have to double check that to know yeah. for sure, but I believe so. Well, that's kind of a, a segue into how this would be accessible to somebody like, uh, like me who was just kind of a your Joe Average .NET developer. They don't think in terms of quantitative analysis and maximum minimum stand. I, I mean, I took a college course in statistics, yep. you know, 20 years ago. How would you uh, present the, how would you pitch this sort of analysis, data analysis? Um, well, like in my presentation tomorrow, I, I kind of start the presentation off after, you know, a minute of introduction and motivation explaining that, you know, as a software developer, I do a series of tasks on a semi-regular basis, things like log file analysis, um, cleaning up data from you know the source systems in order to make them usable in the target system, uh, in addition to uh, analyzing code metrics. So numerous things that uh, involve uh, data, both quantitative and numeric data, uh, as a software developer, that by using these tools, I can actually make my job significantly easier. So trying to sell developers on using these tools and techniques in order to make their job easier and to help decision makers make decisions based upon these data. So for example, if we're trying to uh, decide whether you know we should go direction A or direction B with our software product. You know, if we've got data, empirical evidence showing that oh, the feature the the, the clients are using this specific set, specific set of features more than this set of features. Well, we should probably invest more time and energy on these features. But in order to uh, pr present that evidence, we have to be able to take that raw data, convert it into a form, and then analyze it or create data visualizations that can communicate uh, the insight that we've gathered from uh, those raw data. You also have to capture that data in the first place. Um, yes, so capturing data is uh, very important. In fact, someone just mentioned uh, recently, and, and it was a big data IoT talk I was at um, at Microsoft in Chicago, that um, data are storing or essentially data are very cheap uh, unless you didn't store them, then they're very expensive. Essentially, pointing to the fact that the storage of data is just ridiculously simple, and the ability to collect data is amazingly. Uh, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, it's really easy to uh, to store data and to collect data, but if you decide to throw that data away, now that's hugely expensive because you no longer have access to that. Right. How long have you been uh, working in the exploratory data analysis field? Um, so I've been working with exploratory data analysis uh, with the programming language R since I was back in college, and that's that's been several years now. So I was a bit ahead of the curve uh, relative to most software developers in the industry. And I kind of recognized that our, um, there was something about it. I mean, it made slicing and dicing data uh, really easy to do and creating data visualizations and doing statistical analysis uh, very easy compared to other programming languages I'd worked with. And so by kind of recognizing that there was something to it very early on, 
I started investing time in it. I started giving presentations uh, in the developer community before anyone else I knew was even talking about R. And so I kind of got ahead of the, the wave and then R exploded here over the last few years. And especially now that Microsoft has purchased uh, Revolution Analytics, uh, Microsoft has a huge investment in R as well. It's now going to be, uh, there's um, R tools for Visual Studio. So it's a supported language in oh, Visual wow. Studio. It's built into SQL Server 2016. It's an Azure machine learning. There's R server in Azure as well. And they just announced that there's uh, R for Hadoop as well too. So, I mean, they've got a huge investment in R and I, I think it's the whole space of data science with R is just going to explode this year. If it hasn't already, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of see where the wave, you know, where we're at on the, the kind of curve on the, the wave. on the crest of the wave or, yes. or, on the, or, or um, still riding it up. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've been at this uh, pretty much from the beginning. It's not something like you wandered for a while into consulting and then say, well, this looks pretty interesting. I'm going to start looking into it. It's something you, it sounds like the analysis side of things you've been at. Had it for a while. Um, well, interestingly, I was a, a non-traditional student, so <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I've been in college since 1996, pretty much on and off almost every year, with the exception of the last like three or four years of my life. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm currently working on a data science specialization through Johns Hopkins uh, University right now, which I'm about halfway done. Hopefully one of these days I'll finally finish it, but I find there's so much demand for my time to teach this stuff that to actually spend more time learning is actually becoming quite difficult. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been with the R stuff uh, relatively early on, but uh, R has been around since the 1990s, and its predecessor, the language S, has been around since, I think, uh, the 1970s. I, I can't remember the exact year, uh, but that was invented by Bell Labs many, many mm-hmm. years ago. So uh, this has been around and been used in academia for a very long time, but it's now just becoming uh, known about in the business world because there's so many students that are being taught R uh, when they come or while they're in college, and then they come out into the professional workforce with that experience, whereas um, it, they would have to typically learn something like SaaS, uh, like when they're on the job. And since R is free open source software, and all the the academic uh, experts are using R to build all their extension packages, and it's being used heavily for machine learning, there's just a huge investment in R, and the community is just growing very fast right now. Yeah, the uh, in- impact of data analysis, I think, has really grown exponentially in the last few years. It's it's now um, because you need you really need that just microscopic edge over something, and I, I've seen it just in my own experience with with you know sort of smaller utilities like Optimizely, where you're just you know just changing a button from the color red to green can have uh, potentially measurable impact yes. on things, and I find uh, in my own experience that it's it's a bit of a challenge just to find out what to measure as it is to visualize and make sense of the data. I mean, it's it's easy to capture data once you realize what you need to measure, yep. but it's usually there a lot of trial and error involved in capturing it. Well, and whether most people realize it or not, there's essentially a flood of data on the way. In fact, the, the flood's already here and it's growing exponentially every year. Most people just don't realize they're already <laughs> waist deep in data. And uh, because there's so much data, because it's growing so fast, uh, the complementary scarce factor in our data-driven economy are people with the uh, skills and tools in order to make sense of these data and transform them into actionable insight. So demand for skills like uh, you know big data kind of technologies and for R specifically uh, for you know Python and data science uh, are growing very very quickly and uh, they're becoming like the kind of the most prestigious jobs you can have. Like data scientists has been you know ranked the uh, sexiest job for like the last couple of years now, um, and it really is. I mean, it's a very interesting field and if. If you love uh, trying to figure out how the world works, 
uh, like you know data science and you know, data science consulting are very very um, appealing places to be in, in the you know software development world right now. But if you get into statistical analysis, what I found was uh, it it didn't really matter as much why people were doing something like when you ran the experiments and you say, well, if they, the button's red, they click on it five times more than if it's green. I mean, mm-hmm. you could sit there and rationalize, well, maybe it's because of this, maybe it's because of that. But with the data in front of you, it's yep. like, well, who cares why they're doing it? They're doing it, so let's make it red. Yeah. Well, and that, that's one of the very interesting uh, distinctions between like uh, academic data science and like uh, professional or, or commercial data science in academia, it's very important to have theories as to why these things Absolutely. are the way they are. Yeah. But in the business world, and maybe this is a dangerous thing, I, I don't know, it's hard to say, but essentially if it's producing revenue, like that's the important thing. So um, if changing it to red versus green makes more money, well, then we'll make the change, whether we understand the psychology behind it or not. Now, the academics are going to be more interested in the question, well, why is this the case? Because to them, producing knowledge is the, the output that they're most interested in as opposed to producing revenue. And I think the the... Academics have it right in the um, from the respect perspective of can we repeat this process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. We ran the the experiment with red and green. Maybe if we understood why red, then we could would come to the conclusion that orange is better. Or yeah, something like that. and I think that's why like having very strong backgrounds in uh, statistics or research methods are is very important uh, when doing these kind of things like uh, machine learning and data science in the professional mm-hmm. world. We have a, a large number of people that are getting into it without the proper background, and without that background, it's it's quite easy to either you know mislead, misrepresent uh, our cognitive biases. That the, never happens. In <laughs> yeah, the the, the, the sheer amount of down like if, if someone were to just list all of the known biases, you know the the way we distort information that we receive, um, or uh, the way uh, certain models will distort information, uh, is actually kind of scary. So. Uh, it's very important to have a solid background in, you know, like uh, statistics and uh, research in in order to uh, be making these kind of claims, especially if the claims will have significant impact on either financial policy or uh, potentially affect people's, you know, health or lives. So if I'm a CTO, not even a CTO, I'm a project manager who's who's been charged to make some sense out of all of this information that we're gathering, and I don't have that background, how do I tell? the charlatans from the people that are actually going to give me the value for my money? Well, I think there's categories of uh, decision-making that uh, that's fully within the scope of, you know, project manager without, you know, a background in statistics or data analysis uh, that they're they're fully competent and capable of, uh, of dealing with. Uh, but then there's other areas where, how do I want to word this? Essentially, if we're working with uh, very small data sets and we're working with uh, small numbers of variables and, and relatively transparent data, uh, they can probably use these data to make decisions uh, relatively easily without a whole lot of problems. However, when you're doing complex like multivariate analysis or doing um, like a multiple regression analysis, these kind of things are uh, relatively more complicated and require um, more, I want to say, precise or more uh, uh, cautious when you're doing these types of analyses. Well, there's one actually, before we, we're getting close to the end of our time here, but I wanted to talk a little bit about machine learning and how that factors in. Now, with machine learning, in my understanding, it's you kind of give the machine some rules for ways of making sense of the data, is that? Um, Well, that might be closer to artificial intelligence. So the main distinction between artificial intelligence and machine learning is that machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. With artificial intelligence, 
we're trying to make machines make rational decisions that um, uh, maximize some objective function of some kind, whether it's to uh, drive safely on the road or to uh, make as much money as possible. With machine learning, which is the subset of that, we're essentially using data sets and having the machine learning algorithms find patterns in the data set that lead you to the correct answer. So the main difference is with artificial intelligence, we might, uh, we might uh, have algorithms that uh, you know, make these decisions and then we optimize those algorithms to have them run in um, real time, essentially, as opposed to it taking you know, the, uh, years in order for them to produce the correct answer. Whereas with machine learning, we're essentially using these statistical algorithms in order to, uh, in order to find these patterns in the data so that the machine then can use those patterns to make future decisions based upon uh, the prior uh, data that it's seen, the prior probabilities, if you I will. See, I see. Well, I think that's getting close to our time. Uh, now, I know, Matthew, you have a couple of Pluralsight courses on this topic, yes? Yep. Um, I have two courses out right now. One is on exploratory data analysis with R, which is the same topic as my presentation. And the second one is uh, beginning data visualization with R, uh, which is the first in a three-part series on data visualization. We're going to have the second one be multivariate uh, data visualization, followed by a more advanced or specialized data visualization course as well. And I just had a, a, a blog post on Pluralsight come out today, which is uh, the five steps to learning uh, R, I believe was the title of it. Uh, it's essentially teaching, you know, what is R exactly? Uh, why should someone want to be interested, or why would someone be interested in learning R? And then uh, how should one go about learning R? What, what approach should someone take to learn and R? It sounds with uh, Microsoft's investment in there, there's the, we're running out of excuses not to look into it, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty hot topic right now, so... I would definitely encourage it. Well, I uh, probably check those out myself. I want to thank you, Matthew, for stopping in and talking about it. I hope your uh, talk goes well tomorrow. Thank you for having me. Okay. Have a good day. Yep.